it's good to be here this morning, good to have you with us, or if you're in your car later in the week listening, or wherever you may be if you're picking this up, great to have you guys with us. For the past two weeks now, we have been taking time to, what I'm saying, remembering Jesus, to remember him. And uh, in other words, it's bringing Jesus back from the memories and bringing him into our present moments. And why are we doing this? We're doing this because there's other things that tend to push the important things in life to the side, to the side issues. Uh, It's things like politics, things like the pandemic for the past couple of years, uh, the issues that we've been struggling with, with racism, other things front and center. And it's not because we have wanted these things front and center. It's just that it's hard to get away from any type of media. Uh, Media has a way of bringing these things into the front and center, making sure we are paying attention to them every single day. And what tends to happen is those things become the central point and what's, what's important in our lives goes off to the side. One of the things about light having a candle lit here on the table is the candle represents Jesus, the light of the world, that Jesus is present, that we make Jesus center. It's one of the things that, it's just a little thing, but it's something that to remind us that Jesus is always present with us. Now, in my decades of of learning about Jesus, of learning what it means to be a follower of Jesus, if there's any one thing or any person that needs to be front and center, as far as I'm concerned, it's Jesus. That Jesus is my stability, my center point, my anchor that I hold on to, that I, that I stay with. And that's why I'm calling us to remember him again. Can we remember him? Uh, he's in our memory. We know about him. It's back there. But can we bring Jesus into, to make Jesus the center, to bring Jesus into our present moments? Now, here's, here's something else about me. I enjoy, a lot of people watch Netflix and that, I enjoy well-done documentaries on Netflix. And especially those documentaries that look at a specific person, takes a person and looks deep inside what they're about. It could be a celebrity, it could be whatever, but they look at what's underneath, what makes them tick, what drives them. The, the, the thing about them that you'd never know unless someone revealed it to you. I, I enjoy that. There was just about over a year ago, I watched one. It was called The Playbook. And the subtitle was a Coach's Rules for Life. Uh, if you haven't caught it, I think it's still on. It's a great one. It's a little series, I think five episodes, and it's really good to watch. Really well done because it takes an inside look of these people's lives. They are professional coaches who coach professional teams, various sports, but they look at what it is that is deep inside them that makes them who who they are, the person they are, how they coach, and why they coach the way they do. It's that what I call the undercurrent. Because documentaries such as those, it's like they dig down deep and they pull these little gems out for you to be able to see. And, and, and you go, wow, I never knew that about that person. Fascinating, you know? And it's that undercurrent that's within them. 
let me tell you a bit of a story in my life. At age 18, I had just, I had graduated grade 12, and I went immediately into my policing career as a cadet. And a cadet does whatever they're told. They're like, you know, there's the bottom rung of the, bottom rung of the ladder. Cadets were just a little lower than that. <laughs> just a little lower. And they made sure you knew that too. But I joined the Toronto Police Service there. And you began by having three weeks of cadet training. And even before I had finished that three weeks, we were all told of this deputy chief, part of the Toronto Service, name was James Noble. And what was interesting about James Noble, what they told us was to watch out for him, that he's a by-the-book guy, like right to the letter, and also that he is like strict like you've never seen. And if whatever division you end up working out of, if Noble is coming to your station, make sure you're not there. You don't want him to notice you at all, ever. <laughs> Seriously, it was that, like, and being 18 and green, anything could intimidate me, right? <laughs> and that, that made me really intimidated. So let's fast forward a little bit, 18 months later, I get a call from my staff sergeant at the division I'm working out of to let me know that I am being transferred where? <laughs> to headquarters, duty desk. But my assigned duty is going to be that I'm going to be a driver for the chairman of the police commission. There's three cadets that looked after that. Oh, and by the way, from time to time, you'll be driving one of the deputies when they need to have a driver. And for me, it was like... Oh my gosh, I'm going to have to be around this guy. I'm just, I'm green, right? I'm not, I haven't gone through life yet. Haven't experienced the, uh, the things that knock you around in life. And so that was going to be my job. Now, so I went, started doing it, learning it, actually enjoyed it. And then a day did come, and it wasn't long. A day did come, I walked in, I was on the afternoon shift. And I came in, and I was told that, you're not driving the chairman today. You're going to be driving Deputy Chief Noble. <laughs> okay. And that I had to take him home. And then later that evening, he was going out to a function. And then when he was done that function, I'd pick him up and take him back home. And it was like, wow. Okay. Sure. And so what happened was, did it? And yes. He's a spit and polished guy and very, very professional. But he was a really nice guy. <laughs> you know, shock of shock, right? But he was a really nice guy. He treated me like I was an equal, which just blew me away. He asked me about my life, where I grew up. He told me a bit about his. Like, it was just like, wow. You know, I, I saw a side of him. I, I, he took on a whole new light for me. Like it was just entirely different light the way I saw him. And it only happened because I was able to spend time with him. That's why it happened. That's the only reason. Now, from that time, fast forward two years. Now I'm being trained as a constable. I'm doing my field training, and I was assigned to number one traffic unit just for like six weeks. 
And the shift I was on, there was one of the officers, one of the regular constables, who was doing the radar patrol. And when we got back, the story buzzing around the, the station was that this officer happened to pull over an unmarked cruiser. And guess who was driving it? It was Deputy Chief James Noble. Like, seriously. This is for real. <laughs> and it was like, of course, the, everybody's question is, what did you do? And the guy, I remember the guy saying, his first initial reaction was, just let him go, right? Just tell him to have a good day, go. So, but as he thought about it, he thought, hold on, if positions were reversed, what would Noble do? He would give me a ticket. <laughs> so he said, I, I gave him a ticket. And we were all like, what? <laughs> you gave him a ticket? You got to be kidding. And even the, the desk sergeant and the inspector for the station, they were saying, we don't know what's going to come with this. Something's going to come. You know that. And it was just, it was just bizarre. Well, if, I think it was either the next day or two days later, this officer was called into the inspector's office and given a letter. And the letter was from James Noble, the deputy chief. And the letter was commending him for his professionalism and for the way he represented the Metropolitan Toronto Police Service. And it was going to go on his file. I remember that. That was the big thing, that it was going to be on his file. And I was like, wow. I remember thinking later going, this guy, this Deputy Chief Noble, I said, here's, a, like, it was just this thought. Here's a man who has strong moral ethics. Here's a guy who lives what he says, says what he lives. You know, he, he's straight up. And he's honorable. He's fair. Just a nice guy. And I did realize, though, that if I worked for him, if I ever, like, worked directly under him, you know, reported to him, there would definitely be expectations he would have for anybody who worked with him, right? I just realized that. But for me, what I saw with Noble was this undercurrent that what made him tick, what drove him to be who he was. He wasn't this scary guy. He was a really nice guy, actually. But just there was something there. And I only discovered that because I was able to spend time with him. I got to see the undercurrent, which was so key. So here's my question, telling you all that. Have you ever wondered what makes Jesus tick? What drives him? Have you ever seen the undercurrent of Jesus? That thing that's just continually flowing. A lot of my opinions of Jesus came from what I was taught growing up in the church, from my parents, came from some of the hymns we sang or the songs we sang, came from those parts in my Bible that I highlighted that I liked in the Gospels, right? <laughs> those parts came from what I learned even in Bible college. But my knowing was only partial. And it wasn't until I was taught the importance of spending time with Jesus. Like unhurried time. Not doing devotions, not that. Spending unhurried time with him. And being taught to listen 
to ask questions, to, you know, pour out my heart to Jesus, right? And especially how I learned about Jesus was going through the tough times in life. Because there's something about the tough times when you're up against a wall or when you don't know how you're going to handle something. Jesus is there. Jesus is always dependable. Always there. And you learn a deep undercurrent. I began to pay attention to what Jesus says in scriptures. I began to pay attention to where he goes, how he does things, and ask those questions. Why do you say that? Why do you do that? Why did you go here? What was all that about? I discovered a guy who wasn't anti-culture, but he just didn't go. He didn't march to the beat of the culture that he was brought into and into the world. And it's then, it's during these times that I've begun to see this fuller picture of Jesus, this undercurrent. I'd probably say the same thing as I said about Noble. He's a really nice guy, Jesus is, right? He really is. But I know what his expectations are as well. And maybe you know what I'm talking about here this morning. But let me share you just a few observations, a few things that I've observed in the undercurrent of Jesus. Just a few things. Things that I have come to understand and so appreciate, but I see them as drivers, as key drivers. One of the things to consider is it, throughout the Gospels, Jesus, as a good rabbi, he told a lot of parables. Parables are little stories that have one point that they're trying to make. That's what they're all about. And, and here's, here's something to always never forget. The parables, they're made-up stories. They're not fact. It's a made-up story that Jesus has developed somehow. And Jesus could have told that story any way he wanted. But he chose to tell it in a certain, tell it the way he did. And you need to remember that. That this is his story. And there is a point that Jesus is trying to make. Now, I'm not going to share any of the uh, scripture passages because I don't want you to focus in on that or be going to your, to your Bible right now. I know that seems, what? I want you to hear some of what I've gleaned from this undercurrent of Jesus, this person I follow, this person I worship. You take the parable of the Good Samaritan. We all know that. And and that, that's a title we give that parable. It's found in Luke 10, verses uh, 30 to 37. It's, it's within that passage. What do you see when you unearth what's there? What is the driving point? What you see is that every human being is my neighbor. That's what you see from that. That's what Jesus is trying to say. Is trying to say to that religious leader, every human being is my neighbor. Let's go to the, the next one here. We all know that one, the very, probably the most popular parable is the prodigal son, right? Personally, I think that's not the correct title to call it because I think really the focus should be on the father who represents God. That's what Jesus is trying to communicate there. But regardless, that's found in Luke 15, 11 through to 32. And the point there is we just have to return and God will run to us. 
you see this passionate love. And you see Jesus trying to make this point that the Father is always looking out for us, always looking for us, always waiting. And, and the first sign of us turning, the Father runs to us passionately because God loves you. God loves us. He loves humanity. So the parables are play a prominent thing. In another account, and there's many of these accounts, but there's another story Matthew records in his gospel in chapter 22 from 15 through to 22. And here's the setup of the account here that Matthew gives. The religious leaders take some of the Roman leaders and with the intent, they want to trap Jesus. Because what they're looking for is we want to put a charge against him so he can be arrested and condemned. That's their whole goal here. So you got the Roman leaders and you got some Jewish leaders and they come, they find Jesus and they, it's a trap. They have a question for him. And the question is, is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? See, it's, it's like they're presenting a yes or no question, which is, he's either going to offend the Romans, which is bad, or he's going to offend the Jewish leaders and the Jewish faith, which is bad. Either way, they should have him. And Jesus, he's brilliant, right? He's brilliant. That's one of the things I've, I've learned about Jesus. He's brilliant. And he goes, you have a coin? And they go, well, yeah. And he says, can, can, can I see it? They pull it out. And he asks the question, whose inscription is on there? And they go, Caesar's. And Jesus says, well... Then give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar and give to God what belongs to God. <laughs> they had no, re no rebuttal to that. Neither of them did. Because he didn't offend the Romans. And the Jewish leaders knew what he was talking about. When you think about that, when you ponder what Jesus has done there in that statement, and you see what he, what he is saying, what's he driving at? What he's driving at is this, that you are made in God's image, that you are invaluable. And because we are inscribed with God's image, give that to God. Jewish leaders knew what he was talking about. And they had nothing, they could not argue that point. And of course, the Roman leaders that were with, that were in the part of that group, they were okay with his answer because he didn't, he didn't go against paying taxes to Caesar. But you see that humanity is made in God's image. We are stamped with God's image on us. So important to remember that. Let's go to another account. What you see taking place here. John 8, 1 through to 11. It's entitled in most, most versions of the Bible as the woman caught in adultery. But here what you have is you have the religious leaders. They've caught they've, this woman who's been caught in adultery. has been brought to them. They're in the temple area. And they happen to see Jesus there is coming by as well. And they call Jesus over and they go, Jesus, the law clearly says that and a woman caught in adultery should be stoned. What do you say? And again, remember, Jesus is brilliant. And he goes, well, I think you who don't have any sin, you can throw the first stone. 
<laughs> of course. And he writes something on the ground. And of course, they just one by one scamper off. Right? It's like, can't answer that one. Turns to the woman and says, where are those who condemn you? And she says, They're not, there's no one. And he says, neither do I. Go sin no more. Live your life to the full. Oh, God intended, right? He sends her, sends her off with almost like a blessing to go and live life the way it was meant to be lived. What do you see in that? And this, and this, you can take this to people who are struggling with sickness. Gospels are literally littered with stories and accounts of Jesus seeing someone who, who's seeking healness. They have no other way. There's no other help. They're like their back is against the wall. They don't know what to do. And Jesus brings healing to them, right? You see this coming from Jesus, ebbing, flowing from him. What do you see there? Is that any act of injustice or oppression or sickness or disease, it gets God's attention. God sees those who are oppressed. God sees those who are where there's inequality. God sees the sick people who are who are trapped in a disease or whatever and wants to bring healing to them, restore get the giver of life. It gets God's attention. God is passionate towards all of humanity. What I see too is God sees sickness as a form of injustice to, to the human being. Not what God intended at all. Not what God intended at all. Just one more I want to give you. In Matthew 21, 12 to 13, just two little passages. They're coming into Jerusalem. Jesus and his disciples coming into Jerusalem. It's the Passover. The tension between Jesus and the religious leaders is extremely high. Religious leaders are plotting how they're going to frame Jesus, have him condemned, and then execute him, get rid of this guy once and for all. And Jesus comes in, comes into into Jerusalem, and finally makes his way into the temple area. And here the temple was created right from the beginning for people to gather, to come into the presence of God, and for commune to take place, this communing to take place between people and God. That was the whole intent of the temple area. But because it is the Passover, there would be throngs of people everywhere. There'd just be, it'd be crowded. And what was going on was you had people who were coming, they needed to have a sacrifice, buy their sacrifices so they could, you know, present that during the whole Passover um, holiday there. But instead you have vendors who are selling, they can buy their sacrifices, but overpricing just, and this thing has turned to what should be a place for a house of prayer for people of all nations to come has turned into just this big, huge Shopping mall is what it's become. People getting ripped off. Again, this injustice towards people. And Jesus loses it. Like literally loses it. He takes table, maybe like this, and flips the thing. You know our reaction if Jesus came in and flipped this. (laughs) We'd be like, whoa. Makes a whip. Drives people, drives the vendors out. And he's teched. What's driving him? What's under this? What is it? What it is, is what you discover is that you don't mess with prayer. You don't mess with prayer. Why? Because it's a lifeline for humanity with God and God with humanity. 
and you don't get in the way of that. See, Jesus passionate because Jesus, when you read the Gospels, Jesus' times of prayer with his father was, was, was key for him, was central. And he knew that was, it was central for us, that we needed that. And so when he came into a place that was meant for prayer, he lost, he went ballistic. But you see that, what's underneath there. You see what's driving him. Now, and we're just scratching the surface here, what I'm sharing with you. And that's all I want to share with you today. But if you take those few things, if you take those few things that I mentioned, throw them into a pot, stir it up, right, and see what you get, what you find is you see this undercurrent that is within Jesus, what drives him, what makes him move, why he does what he does. And that driver within him is this. He is passionate about love. And I'm not talking about a a mushy, romantic love, anything like that. Romantic love is great. (laughs) But that's not what the love that flows from God throughout our universe. Uh, But Jesus stirs with this love for his Father that he has and this love for all people, for humanity. And for what's supposed to be. Because remember, his announcement is always the kingdom of God is here, is present. And he's passionate for people to discover this, to see this. And this is what you see when you, when you look deep into what Jesus does and what he teaches and what he says. Look, it wasn't until I spent time with Deputy Chief Noble, that I got to discover what he's really all about, what he was really all about. It's ditto for Jesus. It's spending time, unhurried time, getting to know him, getting to see what drives him. Because as you do, you'll come to know this real Jesus that we sing about, that we pray about, that we live for, what we're called to live for. And this is the Jesus who says to me, he says to you, two words, follow me. When you understand the man that he is, you know the expectations that are coming. The passion that drives him. That's who we're called to follow. Next week, we're going to go into this whole area of what does it mean to follow Jesus? What does it mean? So let's just take some time right now. I'm just going to pray, but we're just going to invite the Spirit of Jesus, the Holy Spirit, to come and just to minister to us, to come be with us. Listen for what Jesus may be saying to you. Jesus talk to me? Absolutely, he'll talk to you. God loves to commune with his creation. God loves to commune with you who are created in his image. You're his child. So, Father, we thank you that you fully revealed yourself 
through Jesus. We thank you, as Paul says, that, Jesus, you are the visible image of the invisible God. That when we hear you speak, we know that's God speaking. When we see you respond to us, to to humans, to people, that's how God responds. When we see that undercurrent within you, Jesus, we know that's the undercurrent that flows from your Father, the creator of this universe, the creator of our world, the creator of us. And so, Father, we just ask you now, would you make your Holy Spirit present to people who are listening or watching? Would you come? Would you speak to us? I pray for people who are listening, who maybe it's been a while since they've heard you speak to them. Jesus, would you help them to hear, help them to know that your presence is here. We want your rule and reign in our lives. We want to see your rule and reign in our families, your rule and reign in our neighborhoods. Come, Lord Jesus, and just come and heal the brokenness in the church right now. It's been a hard 18 months for us. It's been a hard few years for the church globally, for the church particularly in North America. But Lord, we thank you for your passion for us. Come and heal us, Lord. Come and heal us. Just for some of you right now who are either listening or watching, I just, I just really sensing the Lord is saying that, you know, there's that passage in Revelation. I think it's in chapter 3. There's a letter to one of the churches where Jesus says, I stand at your door and I knock. And if you hear me, and if you open the door, I will come in. And we will share a meal together as friends. Jesus is wanting you, would you just open your door? Remember, those words in Revelation there weren't to, they were to the church, right? That if we will open our door and let Jesus come in, he will come in and eat with us, share a meal with us, as two friends would. So this week, daily, try to remind yourself. You can just say, what, I, what would I say? I would say, Jesus, I'm opening my door right now. Would you come in? Can we just talk? Can we just share? In fact, what I do every morning, most mornings, because I enjoy a coffee, I'll make myself a coffee and sit in my chair, and and it's just my time with Jesus. It's just my time with him. I can just pour out my heart to him. And I pray that could be so with you. Whatever that, that is, that special place or time, or that you would be able to have that special place or time with Jesus. So my prayer for you is that you would come to know him as he knows you. Bless you guys.